The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me tonight to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 20. 2 Samuel, chapter 20, continuing our study through the Bible on Wednesday nights. You remember our setting now. David is returning to Jerusalem. His son, Absalom, remember, he launched a rebellion that drove David and many of his loyal friends out, but Absalom's rebellion has been put down. Absalom was killed in battle. David is now returning to Jerusalem to uh, retake his position as king. But he's coming back to a nation that is now a little bit divided. Um, There are 10 northern tribes, often referred to as Israel, They're beginning to bicker now with the southern tribe of Judah. David is from Judah. And uh, Benjamin is also kind of in there and in between that tribe. And we find this turmoil. Even as David is coming back, there's been this civil war, this rebellion that's been put down. And now David is returning. Uh, You're there in chapter 20, but you can look up just the chapter before, chapter 19, verse 41, and kind of get the, the setting as we look. uh, before we look at chapter 20. In chapter 19, verse 41, it says, Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense, or has he ever given us any gift? We've never taken advantage of the fact that he's from our tribe of Judah. Verse 43, and the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, well, we have 10 shares in the king. We're 10 tribes of the nation. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. Only then do you, uh, why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So you see this kind of debating back back and forth. And just a few observations about the setting here is, obviously, the hearts of men appear to be very, very fickle at this season. I mean, these, these were, many of them, them were the ones that were just thrown in with Absalom. Well, Absalom's dead now. Oh, okay, well then, we really want David again to be our king. And now we want him even more than you want him. How come you get to have him? We want it. Well, you know, all of this division. And you see just the the uncertainty of men's hearts. But it also points to a rift now in the nation of Israel, a rift in the kingdom between north and south, the tribes, the 12 tribes beginning to divide. And eventually this will end in a divided kingdom. And you see here just the beginnings of that. But it's a time for reconciliation and unity, especially needed following the unrest and the instability of this civil war that's just taken place, this rebellion of Absalom. And wouldn't you know, immediately following Absalom's rebellion, as David is coming back trying to reestablish the kingdom, resettle the nation, what do you think happens? Another rebellion. (laughs) Another rebel spouts, sprouts his head. Look with me, verse 1 and 2. And there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri, But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. Again, just the the hearts of men. Well, we want David. We have 10 shares in him. And then all of a sudden, some guy named Sheba says, you know what? Who needs David anyway? Come, every man for himself, come follow me. Okay, let's throw in our loyalty with this new guy on the block. And you just see this new rebellion sprouting up. And here's the thing. During vulnerable times of reconciliation, as the Lord is looking to mend the nation, as David is looking to come back and reestablish a peaceful reign, there will always be a Sheba 
There will always be some rebel. There will always be some turmoil. And you can see this in your own life as well. As soon as you begin to, to, to move towards reconciliation, to move towards wanting restoration in, in the Lord or in relationship, there will always be a rebel. There will always be something. Listen, Satan doesn't want unity. Satan doesn't want reconciliation. He will look to stir someone up to take advantage of any vulnerable time in our life. And this is this Sheba who is looking to take advantage of the vulnerable season for his own personal gain. And this is just the nature of rebellion. And, you know, it was Satan who first rebelled against the Lord. It's in him. It's who he is. It defines him. And he looks to motivate rebellion, a rebellion against God's authority. Korah, of course, rebelled against Moses. We see David here on numerous occasions, rebels rising up against his God-given authority. Jesus was rebelled against. The apostle Paul, John the apostle, and truthfully, you see it today, pastors, ministry leaders, parents, employers, anyone in authority you'll always find those who want to rebel and resist against that authority. Just a few verses, even you see this kind of thing very early in the, church, in the New Testament church. A few verses, I'll share these with you over on the overhead. Uh, Third John, the Apostle Paul, he writes this in verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among you, does not receive us. Imagine that. The Apostle John, already very early in the church history, and the Apostle John himself, the one who saw Jesus, the one who you know, walked with Jesus, even he now has this diatrophies in the church that he's writing to, and he won't receive the Apostle John because he wants the preeminence. A rebel even against a prominent apostle. Jude, verse Uh, 16 and 19, talks about these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. These are sensual, carnal persons, fleshly, who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. So you see this. In, In John's case, talking about Diotrephes, someone wanting preeminence, and that was what Sheba desired. And, and they, it comes out with grumbling and complaining, we see in Jude. Uh, and, and again, causing division. Boy, be careful of that grumbling and complaining. You're not in the spirit. That's a, sent, that's a carnal work, not a spiritual fruit. There is no fruit of the spirit called grumbling or complaining. It's more a work of the flesh. 1 Timothy 5 and 13, the Apostle Paul warns of those that learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Busybodies, always, you know, whispering in the rumors. Titus 1 and verse 10, for there are many, what? Insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gains. Insubordinate, that means unsubdued, not under, unruly, not willing to submit to godly authority. We can understand why the scripture says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It started in the heart of the devil. He sows it into the heart of men who get caught up in it. And we see it here in this Sheba character rising up against David. David is God's anointed. David is the one that God has called to lead the nation. His son rebelled against him, and now this Benjamite Sheba rises up. Notice some of the things that he says. We have no share in David. What he's saying is, look, I'm a Benjamite, Israel. You guys are not of the tribe of Judah. David's of a different lineage. We owe him no allegiance. We have no share in him. We have no part in him. He has no authority over us. He's not our king. He forgets that God raised up David to be king over all the nation. 
He looks just to the lineage and and finds reason to kind of dismiss David's authority. And a rebel will always challenge authority. He says, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. This is something of a of a derogatory remark, this, this son of a farmer. He's a nobody, just a shepherd boy. He's not qualified. He doesn't know what he's doing. This isn't somebody that we have to look to. And a rebel will always look to undermine or discredit authority. Oftentimes, accusations are made, usually false. Sometimes, just shortcomings, faults, and weaknesses are identified. And many times, those are true. He was just a shepherd boy. David was just a son of a humble farmer. But he was also God's anointed to be king over the nation. God does not look at a man's pedigree. God looks upon what? The heart. And David was a man after God's own heart. So this rebellious spirit looks to disqualify, looks to tear down. Every man to his tent he says. Now, in the culture here, that was a rally call. That was this way to, you know, abandon your allegiance to David, every man to his tent, prepare for battle, get ready to rebel. And it's a, ra- a rally call to gather against David's leadership, gather, Sheba gathering the nation unto himself. And a rebel will always look to advance some self-agenda wanting his or her own influence, his own following, his own ministry. And we see that every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba. Now, we just read a few verses earlier where all the the ten tribes of Israel were fighting for David. We want him as our king. We, We have more share in him than you, Judah. But now... We see this supposed loyalty very short-lived. You see, they weren't really honoring David. They weren't honoring God's anointed, God's leadership. They were really just kind of following whoever seemed to be in influence and power at the moment. When Absalom's name was on the rise, they threw in with Absalom. Absalom's dead. Hmm, David's coming back. Well, we better get back on. We we really want David as our king. But all of a sudden, this new voice, Sheba, who needs David? Every man to his tent, follow me. Okay, he looks like a new good. Let's throw our allegiance in with him. You see, they weren't looking for God. Who have you placed in authority over us as a people, as a nation? What have you established, God? How can we submit to your leadership in our life? Rather... Where, where's the man with the influence? Uh, where's the, the one that will kind of best benefit us? It, was, it didn't matter to them whether it was Absalom, David, or Sheba. Whoever looked like the next one on the rise, the truth is their loyalty was to themselves. It was a pride and self-seeking, looking for whoever would bring them what they imagined to be influence, and power. But the men of Judah, the passage tells us, from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem, they remained loyal to their king. Now, David was from the tribe of Judah, so they had, obviously, a a connection with David just in lineage. But it also says that, that they remained loyal to, not to their relative, but to their king. There was something in their heart that that they believed David was to be their king. And and these were the same ones that went with David when he was down in the dumps being run out of town by Absalom. They were with David when he returns. And they're with David now that Sheba, a new man, is on the block calling for allegiance. So this is a sincere loyalty. And loyalty is a virtue, Loyalty is a a virtue because oftentimes loyalty has to be given even when it's unpopular. David was rising and falling, but their loyalty remained the same. Their loyalty was a virtue in that it was even at risk of personal loss. They threw in with David not because he was the sure winner, but because he was God's choice for them and their nation. Loyal to their king. They believed 
that David's leadership had been placed in their lives by the Lord. It wasn't about friendship. It wasn't about family. It was about stewardship. God has entrusted this leadership over our people. We are to submit to God, and in so doing, we believe that God will bless and honor. The Apostle Paul, he was a man who experienced the ups and downs of loyalty, the ups, the, the highs and lows of ministry. But he says this of his, his friend and colleague Timothy, Philippians 2.19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Paul found in Timothy a loyal and like-minded servant of God who truly cared about the ministry, the things that were of Christ, truly cared about the people. And that was proven in character over time. The longer I'm in ministry, the more, the more you see people come and go. A brother was just talking to me before the service, and he was commenting on that. You know, we've really seen people come and people go. Now, I really like it when people come. I've got to tell you, that's a good feeling when they come. But it's not so good when they go. And yet, it's just part of ministry. It's part of the, the, the wandering hearts of men. You know, maybe, maybe this ministry will have something for us. Maybe this one's got a little more of this for me. And it, it kind of, people seem to be more about trying to find something for a selfish ambition rather than where has God called me? Where has God placed me? Who has God established as my spiritual family, as my spiritual leadership? Where does God want me functioning in the body of Christ? That's the heart that, that, that brings loyalty. That's the heart that stays and remains because it's not about man. It's not about the emotions of the moment or the friends or the, the frills. It's about the stewardship of God in your life. What has God called you to do and where has he called you to do it? Serve there. Bloom there, be faithful there, be loyal there, and let the Lord bless and use your life. We see it throughout the scriptures and even into the New Testament, the men of ministry who have to weather the ups and downs of these things. Look with me now, verse 3. David continues coming into Jerusalem, and he comes home to a difficult situation. Verse 3, now David came to his house at Jerusalem, And the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in seclusion and supported them, but he did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. Widowhood. These were the women, you remember, David had left when he fled Absalom. He had left these ten women behind to keep after the house. Absalom he violated these women when he came into power. He did it to shame his father, David. He took these women. He raped them, basically. He took them up and publicly up on the rooftop under tent, uh, had relations with each of these women. Now David comes home to these women that have been disgraced in such a way. And it is something of an unfortunate consequence of sin that comes upon them. David, he is not able to go on with them because they have been violated by Absalom. But at the same time, he looks to support them, but he's not, he no longer has relations with them. And it is something of a, of a shame, really, for these women. They, this is not a sin of their own, but rather the sin of Absalom, and, and really, to some degree, even David, for taking concubines. It was acceptable in that culture, but certainly against the Lord's instruction, they become victims of this circumstance and situation. And that's the truth of living sometimes in a fallen world. We live with the effects of sin all around us. And there are things that happen that seem to be unjust and unfair. And in truth, they are. And they're just the result of sinful 
realities in our day. But I want to say that even, even in that place, God is able to minister. You know, God can still minister to widows. God can still minister in any, to any heart, in any setting, in any circumstance that will turn to him. He will meet them in that place and begin to work in their life and in their circumstance. Sin does bring consequence. Sin does have a fallout. But God is able to redeem and to restore and to rescue to the heart that will turn to the Lord from any situation. And even in this circumstance, God is able to work and minister to these women. They're cared for, they're ministered to, but as their hearts would turn to the Lord, he is faithful, even unto widows. Well, continue on. We look at verse 4 and 5. David now turns his attention to this new rebellion. Verse 4, And the king said to Amasa, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. Now, Amasa. Amasa was actually Absalom's general during the rebellion. But if you'll remember in our prior chapter, when David was returning, David's heart, looking to bring reconciliation, looking to come back, saying, look, I'm not looking for vengeance. He said, Amasa, I will appoint you to be general over my armies. It was something of a kind of a a conciliatory move, a a political kind of peace uh, tactic for David to invite Amasa to come and be his general. In other words, look, Amasa, I'm not going to execute you because you led the army for, uh, you know, the rebellion. I'm not looking for vengeance. I'm looking for reconciliation, and you can have a place in my uh, kingdom as well. And so he says to Amasa, okay, we've got to deal with Sheba. Go get the men of Judah uh, and get here in three days. Well, Amasa goes, but for some reason he's not able to assemble the men of Judah. Uh, either, either they're sus- suspicious of him because of his loyalty to Absalom. Maybe he was just kind of not diligent in, his, in, in the instruction that David gave. Maybe he tried his best, just couldn't do it. Maybe he wasn't capable. The Bible doesn't tell us except that he did not return with the forces that David desired in the time spent. And so time was of the essence you have to realize that when rebellion is brewing, you don't have a lot of time to assemble your forces to, to fight it because the longer you're waiting, so that rebellion is also strengthening. Uh, David did not want Paul, excuse me, David did not want Sheba to have time to assemble these forces. He wanted to strike before this rebellion really got going. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks of some troublemakers in the church. Uh, he says, you know, their message will spread like cancer. You've got to stop it. it. It's dangerous. Don't allow this to get going in the congregation. Uh, and so sometimes rebellion needs quick attention because it does have a, cha- a tendency to grow and mount and become even more destructive. But not only in the church, and we see that that Paul even addressing, you know, like Titus, I, I read that passage earlier, he said their mouths must be stopped. Don't let these guys keep doing what they're doing. But I want to say not only in church, in the church, but also in our own heart. You know, there are some things that you shouldn't let get rooted or started in your life at all. Because if you let it get started, it's going to mount a, a strong rebellion. It's going to become a problem. I mean, we could apply this even into our own spiritual lives. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew five twenty nine: If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. 
Now, we've looked at this passage before. Uh, We know Jesus is not speaking literally here, go home and start cutting off members of your body. But he's trying to give an imperative of how important it is to resist sin in your life. Don't let it have a place. Don't let it uh, master your life. Don't accommodate it. A little rebellion. Oh, Sheba, he's he's a small guy. It's not a big, that's going to be a big problem. David knows, hey, we got to get this dealt with right away. The same essence of what Jesus is saying in the way that we manage our own lives and hearts. Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says this, verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign, rule, dominate in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but rather present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The exhortation is don't let these things take root, develop into strongholds. And David is feeling the same way. We can't let this Sheba, that we just finished one rebellion, I don't, we're vulnerable, we're weak, we're not ready for another one. So he says, Amasa, get everybody, but Amasa takes too long. And so David turns to, his, to, to others to help rally the, the military strength that is going to be required. Look at verse 6 and 7. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. So Joab's men, with the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men, went out after him, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. David can't wait for Amasa. What's happened to him, I don't know. But he turns now to his personal royal guard, men that he has counted on in the past for military strength. Abishai, his brother, happens to be Joab. It seems that Abishai was the one getting command from David, and Joab was the one actually had the field command over the men. And now David is saying, I can't wait for Amasa to rally support, but it's time to send out my my mighty men. And let me tell you, when, when Joab and the mighty men swing into action, it's, it's a whole different ball game. It's one thing to have Amasa out rallying troops against you. It's a whole other thing to have Joab and the mighty men of David coming for you, as we'll see here for, in Sheba's case. And uh, it's almost like David says, look, I, I, tried to, I tried to work with Amasa. He just doesn't seem to have it. He's not reliable. You know, sometimes... You want to empower people for ministry. You want to see them do well, but they're just not gifted. They're not feeling this, their own sense of calling. I mean, at some time, you just you can't rely on those that you're trying to nurture along. And that's kind of, I think, what's happening to David with this Amasa character. So he turns to the ones he knows he can trust and rely on. You know, my grandfather, we, I grew up playing cards um, my family, my grandfather, he used to have this card game. He used to love and play. So we'd get around and gather his family and play cards. And so this is just a, me- a good memory of my grandfather. He used to really enjoy card playing. And, it, you know, as, you, as the cards get played around the table, you know, you're trying to catch the hand. And uh, he would have all these little sayings that he would say, you know, when he had a good card to play. And, you know, all the, and he'd slap them down, you know. He was really, really into his card playing. And this one statement, you know, you've probably heard this, but he used to say this when he was playing cards all the time. So the cards would be going around the table and somebody would play a card that looked like they were going to catch the hand. Then it would come his turn. Well, of course, he had a higher card. And he would stand up and slap that card down. And he would say, don't send out a boy to do a man's job. (laughs) That was his saying, you know, like, you you thought you were going to catch it with that jack, here comes the king. You know, and uh, that's kind of what's going on here with David. He sent out Amasa 
to do a job that needed to be done by men who understood the, the urgency and the necessity of this battle. Well, let's take a look at verse 8, and we'll see now that Joab is on, on the move, things are starting to happen. Verse 8, when they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. Now Amasa's there. Where's he been? He's, well, I don't, he hasn't got anybody with him, but he's willing to go to battle now that something's happening. Now Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastened in its sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, it fell out. And then Joab said to Amasa, are you in health, my brother? They were cousins, by the way. And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him, but Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand, and he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. Thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. So Amasa finally joins the forces, much to his dismay, And Joab wants nothing to do with this guy. This guy was loyal to Absalom. David, in in Joab's mind, David's just put him in here for political, you know, kind of expedience. He wants my job. He can't even do my job. Who knows if he's even loyal to David. These are the things that Joab is justifying in his mind, and he wastes no time. And he walks up to him and says, hey, are you, how you doing, cousin? Grabs him by the beard and then whoosh, puts a knife in his belly, sword in his belly. Pretends a friendly g- greeting, but then puts him to death. Out of rivalry, maybe out of concern for Amasa's loyalty, Joab is, you know, this is, this is what we see of Joab through the passages, isn't it? He is some kind of a character. Uh, the Bible doesn't commend this. This is, not, this is not a virtuous act on Joab's part. This is murder. But Joab is still fiercely loyal to David. And he, I'm sure, even in his own mind, he is just in putting to death this rebel. Well, from there, the pursuit continues. Look at verse 11. Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. But Amasa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the man saw uh, that all the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him. When he saw that everyone who came upon him halted, and when he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. And he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and Beth Makkah and all the Barites. So they were gathered together and also went after Sheba. So you get the picture here. Joab kills Amasa, leaves him bleeding on the road and says, okay, everybody that's with me wants to go and fight for David, follow me. Well, as they begin to move, they come across this body bleeding on the road, and they're all just kind of grossed out and looking at this guy, you know, just there. And so Joab takes him, puts him in the bushes, puts a garment over him. Okay, now it's kind of like, you know, at the freeway when there's an accident, everybody wants to stop and look at the accident. That's what's happening. They can't get any... So, you know, Joab just... Ruthless, You know, this guy, just move him out of the way, discard him, and let's get going. We've got a job to do. So on they go. And as they're going, uh, they're gathering men together to come against Sheba. You know, Joab, for all his ruthlessness, this guy was a gifted leader. I mean, he knew how to move and advance the battle. And again, I, the Bible does not commend any of this kind of activity And yet, it seems that God will sometimes use men, even ungodly men, he he can use their giftedness to advance his purpose. David is the man after God's own heart. David is the one that God is installing on the throne and keeping and preserving on the throne. And Joab simply simply seems to be something of of a necessity 
for David's rule, and the Lord allows it and actually seems to use Joab on behalf of David. Well, Sheba's rebellion is short-lived. Look with me in verse 15. Then they came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Makkah, and they cast up a siege mound against the city, and it stood by the rampart. So they come to the city. This Sheba is hiding within the city, and so they have to lay siege around the city. It's all walled up. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. So they're starting to try and break into the city. Verse 16, then a wise woman cried out from the city, Here, here, please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. And when he had come near to her, the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am. And then she said to him, Hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I'm listening. And so she spoke, saying, They used to talk in former times, saying, They shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so they would end disputes. I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? So this woman says, look, this, this is a city where we, where we resolve disputes. And, and look, I, I'm, I'm one of God's faithful women here in Israel. Why, why are you looking to tear us down? Verse 20, and Joab answered and said, far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not so. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Don't you love the Bible? (laughs) I just love this. Verse 22. Then the woman in her wisdom went to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew a trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. I mean, this is really something, isn't it? This woman, you know, she's talking to Joab. They're reasoning at the gate. You know, how can, we, how can we settle this dispute without you having to tear down the city? Well, I just need this one guy. And so she thinks about it. And she doesn't say, well, let me go talk to my people. Well, let me go see what I can do. Let me go work. No, she just says, keep an eye. His head will be coming to you over the wall. <laughs> I like this woman. She, is, uh, she knows what needs to be done. And so they wait. And, you know, how does it happen? All of a sudden, you know, heads up. Here go- <laughs> oh, heads down. <laughs> here comes this head over the wall, you know. That, it's just, it's kind of gruesome. But at the same time, it's like, wow, this is really an efficient resolution to all of this. This wise woman saves the city. Sheba, his end comes. And in the end, the Lord does judge rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is demonic. It divides. It looks to destroy. People imagine in their rebellion, in their casting off authority, that they're really just casting off man's authority. And in some cases, of course, that is true. But when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to the kingdom of God, authority is established by the Lord. And in fact, the Bible teaches us that all authority ultimately is established by the Lord, even the civil authority. We're called to submit to civil authority because God is the one who ultimately watches over and allows authority to exist and empowers it. But we don't like authority. We don't like somebody else being in charge. We want the preeminence. We think we have better ideas. We we want to be the ones making the decisions. And so rebellion, it comes, and it, it starts in the heart. What's amazing, so many times, the people that are actually the most troublesome in rebellious activity 
think that they are doing God's bidding. They, they are self-deceived. God wants me to do this. I need to do this for the sake of, you know, the ministry, the church, the organization. I, you know, I'll be a better leader. This is not right. The, and, and yet no one considers, but what, who has God placed? What has God established? Because believe me, God is able to replace leadership. God is able in his time. Isn't that what happened with Saul? Didn't God ultimately replace Saul and install David? It took time, didn't it? Why did it take so long? Because God was not in a hurry to do it. God wanted it to be done in a way that would both allow Saul the greatest opportunity to repent and get his heart right, but he also wanted to do it in a way that would best prepare David for the leadership that God would be entrusting to him. And so God moves in his time and in his way. And what we ought to do really is to be, as Paul said, pray for those that are in leadership, in your church, in your business, in your government, your city, your state, in our nation. We need to be praying for leaders, not just hating them and cursing them and thinking about how crazy they are. And I think they are sometimes. But they need to be prayed for, and we need to recognize that ultimately God is working. And um, Sheba finds out the hard way that God's not going to honor. Absalom found out the hard way too, didn't he? And that's the truth, church. In the end, the Lord will judge. In the end, God will deal with rebellion. God will deal with troublemakers. Don't, don't fall into that trap. Don't be one of them. And boy, don't fall in with them. Don't get caught up in the gossip. Don't get caught up in the, in the insubordination. Don't get caught up in the, the new ruler on the rise or the, the new silver-tongued, fair-haired Absalom or the new kind of rising star in Sheba. Who has God placed? And let's let God determine who's next, David was the king of Israel. Verse 23, we finish here tonight. Joab was over all the army of Israel. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Adoram was in charge of revenue. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Shiva was scribe. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Ira, the gyrite, was a chief minister under David. This is just closing the chapter. David does come back to Jerusalem. He does reestablish his reign and rulership there. And these are the men that he places in authority there, managing the nation with him. Interesting, Joab, Joab is back over the army of Israel. This is a guy that you just, David just, you know, he's one of those guys, you, you, you need him, you hate to have him, but you kind of need him, Right? Just one of those characters that David allows to stay in power over the army. Even though David does not approve of Joab's actions, he knows that Joab's the one who actually killed Absalom, but he is practical for the role that David gives him. And the truth is, good leaders do need a good team. You do need to put in men, women that are capable, whether it's a business, whether it's a nation, whether it's a church, a ministry. Of course, in ministry, we're looking for godly people. We're looking for people of prayer. We're looking for people that have a close walk with the Lord. We're looking for men and women that are spiritually after the Lord and like-minded. You know, just some uh, closing thoughts for you tonight. Turn with me. Well, I think I have this on the overhead too, Romans chapter 2 just to encourage us to stay submitted to God's authority. Romans 2 and verse 3, it says this. Do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and yet doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You know, sometimes we can get into kind of rebellious habits. We can get into 
kind of insubordinate thinking and activity. We can become disgruntled, complaining, kind of, you know, maybe not all full-out rebellion, but there's just seeds of rebellion in our heart. And, you know, because there doesn't seem to be any real consequence, no real judgment coming upon us, you know, we kind of imagine that, well, you know, it's probably okay. But, but the Apostle Paul warns that, you know, when you stand in judgment, and yet you yourself practice such things, you yourself have issues, um, don't think that you're escaping or getting away with something. Don't you realize that God's goodness his forbearance, his long-suffering, God's patience with you is not a condoning of sinful or rebellious conduct, but rather it's the goodness of God giving you time, leading you to what? Repentance. Aren't you grateful that the Lord, you know, doesn't send your head over the wall every time you, you know, get into a little rebellion? But don't imagine that it's a small thing in your own heart and in your own life. But we have to guard our heart. And and Paul says, look, God's goodness is so that you would walk in repentance. His kindness is to keep that door open. Come, repent, receive forgiveness. Get your heart right. Submit to the Lord. Allow him to work in and through your life. God is patient. God is loving. But God is also just. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for just the honest account of Scripture. We see it tonight, Lord, really in all of its gory detail. And yet, Lord, we see also the truth of spiritual principles. We see, we see something of the heart of man We see something of the authority of God and the working of God in men and through men. And I believe, Lord, that all of us can find some application for our own lives here tonight. And I pray for us, Lord. I pray for us just locally as a church body that we would walk in unity and submitted to one another in love, patience, and long-suffering. We would not look to take preeminence against the other or look for some way to advance our own agenda or to position ourselves, Lord, but that we would rather just serve you and and love you and allow you to place us in the body as you so desire. Because, Lord, every member is significant. Every part is important. And so rather than looking to jockey for someone else's place, Lord, help us to be faithful with what's been entrusted to us. And in that way, the whole body is healthy and strong and whole. And Lord, as our heads are bowed here tonight, just in closing prayer, I do want to give an opportunity, as I do at each service, for anyone that may need to respond to the Lord. And it may be that you're here tonight, and and you know, your your heart is in rebellion. You're You're not submitted to God. You're you're not walking in that relationship where he's the Lord of your life. You're you're still trying to usurp his authority. You're still trying to to advance your own agenda. And maybe tonight the Lord is speaking to you and saying, you know, I love you. I've been patient with you. But it's not because what you're doing is good or right, but it's because I want you to come and repent. I want you to come and allow me to forgive you. Get your life right. Surrender your heart to me. Let me come and lead you and guide you in the ways that I have for you. Let me be the authority in your heart and life. And maybe you're here tonight and you've never received Christ. You've never submitted your heart to him and received his mercy and forgiveness. I'd love to pray for you if if you feel the the Lord drawing you to that. Maybe you need to recommit your heart to the Lord. Maybe tonight finds you in a season of rebellion. Yes, you've come to Christ. Yes, you're a Christian. But tonight, you're living in your own little rebellion. Maybe it's against the Lord. Maybe it's within 
some relationship you're fighting, you're chafing, you know God wants you to just be at peace, you know God wants you to submit to Him, but you're just fighting it, you're resisting Him. You're wanting to run it your own way. And you just need to ask the Lord to forgive you and you need to come back again and say, Jesus, I hand the, the reins of my life back to you. Please forgive me and, and lead me. I surrender. I'd love to pray for you too. So if you're here tonight, you want to receive Christ for the very first time, or you need to recommit, resurrender your heart to him. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated, and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight, Lord speaking to you, you need the Lord, you need to come back to Him. God bless you there in the very back. Anyone else, Lord speaking to you? pray for this one and I'm going to close in a song of worship. Just before I do, I just feel like the Lord is Lord is looking for a response from some. And don't do it for me, not to appease me, but I just think the Lord has put His finger on some hearts tonight and you just don't want to, maybe you don't want the embarrassment of being publicly prayed for and something that you're wrestling. If you're there tonight and you, you, you know you're fighting it right now, there's a struggle, you're wrestling. No, God, I don't want it, God. And God is saying, come. Come surrender. Come submit your heart to me. Give me the authority in your life. Just before I pray for this one, anybody else, the Lord's speaking to you and you need this prayer, raise your hand. A couple more. God bless you both. Amen. So Lord, for these that have just responded to you, I pray that you would meet them, Lord. Lord, it's, it's a good thing to remember that your kindness leads us to repentance. So for these hearts responding to you tonight, Lord, I pray that you would meet them with your kindness. You love them. You, you're drawing them unto yourself because you want to lead them in the way that is good. I pray that their hearts tonight would just come in sincerity and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please wash me of my sin. And please become the Lord of my life. Maybe for the first time, maybe just once again. I need you to come and, and really lead and guide me by your authority and I am surrendering my life to you because I trust you because I know that your way will be best help me God give me the grace not to wrestle it back from you but to really trust you and to allow you to guide and lead me in Jesus name amen thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel Monrovia we pray you have been blessed by this sermon for more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.